When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the world of political podcasts, there are experts, there are pundits, and then there's Tom Powell. Happy Friday, and welcome to another episode of the Second Half Podcast with Tom Powell. Remember, remember, if you're listening to this, that means you made it through another week, and margaritas are in order. And now your host, Tom Powell. Okay, everybody, welcome back in. As the man in the intro said, this is the Second Half Podcast, and I am Tom Powell. This is the part of each episode where I give you a reason to go get margaritas, as if you need a reason to go get margaritas on a Friday. But this week's reason is because I get to go see Lewis Black for the third time live this weekend on his farewell tour. And if it is truly a farewell tour be the last opportunity I have to see Lewis Black, and he is one of my favorite living comedians. So on Sunday, we are going to be in Waukegan to see him on his farewell tour because he is a legend, and that is one farewell tour that I don't want to miss. So in honor of me going to see Lewis Black for the third time this weekend, go get yourself some margaritas and celebrate accordingly. Now, before we get into the news of the week... Just a reminder to swing by my website, that's oldhippymedia.com, oldhippie, H-I-P-P-I-E, media.com. There you're going to find almost anything you want to know about me, including a link to my other podcast titled Off Topic with Tom Powell, where I interview people about their lives, their life experiences, and projects they're working on or may have coming up in the near future. Available only on Patreon. You're going to find a link on where you can buy my first two books. I have two self-published books. They are A Grateful Life, The Life Story of a Husband, Father, and Taco-Loving Deadhead, and Dearest Renee, Letters from the Coronavirus War of 2020. Those are available in paperback and ebook formats. You're going to find a link to my e-commerce store. Like anybody else, I too have merch. Over 400 items for you to choose from. With some new items coming up, some band shirts from some of the cover bands that I've done videos about. You're going to find my my blog articles. I try to do a new blog every Wednesday. You're going to find links on where you can follow me on all of the various social media sites, links to other podcasts I've been in, links to newspaper and magazine articles I've appeared in, links on how to contact me, and much more. Once again, that's all available at oldhippymedia.com. That's old hippie, H-I-P-P-I-E, media.com. Now, we got to get on with the last football segment of the year, which would uh, consist of our annual Super Bowl recap. Last weekend was the Super Bowl, and the Kansas City Chiefs won, defeating the San Francisco 49ers at the end of the first quarter in overtime. Now, 
This is the first time a team has won back-to-back Super Bowls in 20 years. The last team to do so was the New England Patriots. I can tell you from my perspective, the 49ers looked to be the better team for almost the entirety of the game, but in the end, the Chiefs found a way to pull it off. Both teams are great. You don't make it to the Super Bowl without being great, Uh, and both teams will be contenders for a while, although I do believe that the Kansas City Chiefs window may be uh, starting to close as they uh, have been at it for quite a while. They have been good for a, a very long period of time. They've, they've uh, attained a high level of success for a prolonged period of time, and that window never stays open for that long. I mean, how many years do we think Andy Reid will continue to coach? How many more years do you think the Chiefs can perform at such a high level? Listen, I'm not saying that uh, they're done now, but I'm saying that their window is closing much faster than the San Francisco 49ers window is, in my personal opinion. The venue, Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, home to the Las Vegas Raiders, seemed like it was a quality venue uh, to host the Super Bowl in. Uh, it seemed like it was uh, was uh, quite a nice time had by all. I didn't hear any complaints about the venue or the field or any of the of the activities in town surrounding the Super Bowl. The next uh, Super Bowl we have uh, next year is going to be back in New Orleans. And then the next two Super Bowls after that are both in California. With the first one being in San Francisco, California, and the second one being in Ingleside, California. So those are your next three Super Bowl locations. New Orleans, San Francisco, and Ingleside. I would love for Chicago to be able to host a Super Bowl one day, but that will only come with an enclosed stadium. And hopefully that means a new stadium with a retractable roof, not a dome. And hopefully that new stadium is along the city's lakefront, where it should be, not in the suburbs. We'll see. The CEO of the Chicago Bears uh, said just yesterday that uh, he would like to have a decision made on where they are going to build a new stadium sometime this year, in 2024. And he expressed his desire to keep the team in the city of Chicago. I think the city of Chicago might find a way to relent on its rule about building new structures on the east side of Lakeshore Drive if the Bears truly want to stay in Chicago. They're currently eyeing the south parking lot area of the current stadium, Soldier Field. Now, that would necessarily require that Soldier Field gets torn down, which could be a stumbling block, but let's see what happens. Now, From a political perspective, and I know you're probably thinking to yourself, the Super Bowl has a political perspective. Not normally it doesn't, but this one did. From a political uh, political perspective, people said they were going. uh, People who said they were never going to watch the NFL, they were going to boycott it. Sure did have a lot to say about this particular game, didn't they? Taylor Swift triggered the fuck out of these people. So much so that she she actually got far-right wingers in this country to root for a team from Nancy Pelosi's deeply blue home of San Francisco, located in deeply blue California, instead of rooting for the team with an incredibly religious uh, quarterback from deeply blue or red Missouri. My apologies. And before any of the brain-dead... Uh, cousin fuckers that try to listen to this uh, podcast to find things to bitch about start writing me an angry email to tell me that Kansas City is in Kansas. 
Let me be uh, the one to educate you for a moment here on this Friday morning. There are two Kansas cities. One is in Kansas. The other is in Missouri. They're actually right next to each other. One on the Missouri side of the border, one on the Kansas side of the border. And the Chiefs play in the Kansas City that is in Missouri. Not that that would necessarily matter because Kansas is deeply red too. You fucking dopes. But, as I said, Kansas City Chiefs won, which means all of those people got triggered because they had to watch the Chiefs win and Taylor Swift get to come down onto the field to celebrate with her boyfriend, and that probably just caused them to just be throwing shit in their homes and uh, uh, shanties. So congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs and... To all of those people that were triggered by the fact that Taylor Swift actually roots for her boyfriend. Fuck you. (laughs) Alright, before we get into the political news, we've got a couple of music stories to get to. First, let's discuss this year's nominees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which have been released. I'm going to go over the list and then we're going to discuss it. This year's nominees are Mary J. Blige. Mariah Carey, Cher, the Dave Matthews Band, Eric B. and Rahim, Foreigner, Peter Frampton, Jane's Addiction, Cool in the Gang, Lenny Kravitz, Oasis, Sinead O'Connor, Ozzy Osbourne, Sade, and A Tribe Called Quest. Now, this is the same conversation we have every year when this list comes out. Half of these names are not rock and roll. It's not that half of these names are bad artists. They're not. They're just not rock and roll. So let's go back through the list. Mary J. Blige, not rock and roll, doesn't belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Phenomenal singer, incredible talent, not rock and roll. Mariah Carey, once again, incredible talent, phenomenal singer, not rock and roll, doesn't belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Cher. Not only an incredible talent, not only an incredible singer, but a legend in the music world. Not rock and roll. Doesn't belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The Dave Matthews Band. Now you found somebody that belongs in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I would vote them in. And have in my daily voting ballots. Eric B. and Rakim. I fucking love Eric B. and Rakim. But they are not rock and roll. And therefore do not belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Foreigner is rock and roll, but I don't think that they're Hall of Fame worthy. Peter Frampton, definitely rock and roll. And Peter Frampton would fall under the maybe category for me. So I'm going to put Foreigner as a no. Dave Matthews' band is a yes. Peter Frampton as a maybe. I think that his catalog might not be Hall of Fame worthy, but his influence on the scene might get him in. Jane's Addiction, another band I dig. Not in love with them, but I dig them. Not a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, caliber band, in my opinion, so I would say no to them. Cool and the Gang, fucking legends. I fucking love Cool and the Gang. They're not rock and roll. They don't belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Lenny Kravitz, he's rock and roll, and I dig some Lenny Kravitz. That man can jam. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, though, so I'm going to put him down as a no. I'm going to do the same for Oasis. To me, they're a no. Sinead O'Connor. I mean, 
what can you say about Sinead O'Connor? She is a fucking legend. But I don't think she's a rock and roll Hall of Fame uh, candidate here. I don't think that she's rock and roll. You know what I mean? Sade, not rock and roll, doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. A Tribe Called Quest, another act that I absolutely love. Not rock and roll, doesn't belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that brings us down to... Ozzy Osbourne, and I gotta be honest with you, it is a fucking embarrassment that it is 2024 and Ozzy Osbourne for his solo work is not yet in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He better make it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this time around, or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is going to lose what little credibility it does have. Now for some notable snubs, people that didn't even make the nominee list and are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Iron Maiden. If there's anybody I'm about to read off to you that deserves to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's Iron Maiden. Billy Idol, the Guess Who, Jethro Tull, the Monkees, Steppenwolf, Stone Temple Pilots, Thin Lizzy, and Warren Zevon, to name a few of the notable snubs. That's right. They're about ready to put Mariah Carey and Cher into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But Iron Maiden, Billy Idol, The Guess Who, Jethro Tull, The Monkey, Steppenwolf, Stone Temple Pilots, Thin Lizzy, and Warren Zevon are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that is why we have our annual conversation about the need to change the name of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to the Music Hall of Fame. If it was the Music Hall of Fame, I would sit here and tell you, Mariah Carey gets in, Cher gets in, Eric B. and Rakim get in. Cool in the gang gets in. Sinead O'Connor gets in. Absolutely to all of them if it was the Music Hall of Fame. It is not. It's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And for whatever reason, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame insists on inducting members who are not rock and roll. Listen, Dolly Parton is a living legend. She's a goddamn national treasure. She's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And Ozzy Osbourne isn't. Iron Maiden isn't. The Monkees aren't. Make it make sense, folks. Make it make sense. <clears throat> Speaking of the music industry, I had to mention this quick story. Sony Music Group is paying at least $600 million for half of Michael Jackson's music catalog, including publishing rights, uh, rights and master recordings, according to a report by Billboard. The sum would make the deal the largest ever transaction for an artist's music, topping the $550 million paid to Bruce Springsteen in 2021 for his entire catalog. This price that Sony is paying for half of Michael Jackson's catalog puts the total value at greater than $1.2 billion, also a record. The King of Pop passed away in 2009, but his estate still earns about $75 million yearly from his assets, which also include merchandise and royalties, which is fucking insane. The fact that 15 years after his death, his estate is still pulling in 75 mil a year is a testament to not only his talent, but his impact and popularity on society as a, as a whole. I just thought that that was an interesting little quick story to mention since we were talking about the music industry as a whole anyway. Now, 
onto the sobering reality that is life in America. There was yet another mass shooting, and this time it was at a Super Bowl parade in honor of the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to read to you now from NBC News. At least one person was killed and as many as 23 other people were injured with gunshot wounds in a shooting in Kansas City, Missouri after a rally Wednesday celebrating the Chiefs' Super Bowl victory, authorities said. Eight of the injured had immediately, uh, had immediately life-threatening injuries, seven had life-threatening injuries, and six had minor injuries after the shooting about 2 p.m. Now, I, I, full disclosure, you guys are hearing this on Friday the 16th. I'm actually recording this uh, right now. It's it's the day before. It's Thursday the 15th, and it's 6.46 p.m. where I'm at here in Chicagoland. So I don't know if more people, by the time you hear this, will have passed away, if these numbers will have changed. I'm giving you the numbers as I have them now. Three people were detained, though police did not identify suspects. The person shot dead was named as Lisa Lopez Galvin by her family. Kansas City, Missouri radio station KKFI 90.1 said Lopez Galvin was one of its DJs. It is with sincere sadness and an extremely heavy and broken heart that we let our community know that KKFI DJ Lisa Lopez Galvin, host of Taste of Tejano, lost her life today in the shooting at the KC Chiefs rally, the station said on Facebook. Police have not publicly identified any of the other victims. Children's Mercy Hospital said it was treating 12 victims, most of them children, with gunshot wounds. Three people have been detained near a garage west of Union Station, Kansas City Police said. Police are working to determine whether bystanders tackled one of the detained people, Police Chief Stacy Graves said. The shooting appears to have been criminal in nature and not terrorism, according to a preliminary investigation. Three law enforcement officials briefed on the incident said. Police asked uh, people to quickly leave the area so victims could get medical aid. Thousands of people had gathered in downtown Kansas City for a celebratory parade and rally at Union Station after the Chiefs' Super Bowl win on Sunday. Police said all of his Chiefs players, coaches, and staff members and their families were safe. The right-wing response to this shooting is that it must be black gangbangers, a trans person, or an immigrant because authorities have not yet released the names of the suspect. That is what we are getting all over Twitter. It's got to be one of those three things. It's the only reason why we don't have the names yet. It's got to be somebody who's black, somebody who's trans, or somebody who's an immigrant. But two of the three suspects are minors, and they never release the names of suspects that are minors right away. Ever. But here's the deal to all of the right-wingers who think that shit and might actually be listening to this podcast. Whether it be an immigrant, a trans person, a gangbanger, a religious zealot, or a white nationalist on a hate streak, it's still a fucking problem. The access to weapons in this country is far too easy. And don't get me wrong, I don't want to do away with guns. Nor do I want to eliminate the Second Amendment. But I do think we need to seriously discuss common sense gun legislation in this country. Now, it's never going to happen, but it should. As a matter of fact, I fear nothing will happen until my children's generation is in control. As long as the baby boomers and my generation, Gen X, are in control, nothing will change. And that, my friends, is a sad, sad fact to have to say out loud. If dead first graders in Newtown 
wasn't enough to enact common sense gun legislation in this country. One dead at a Super Bowl parade is never going to be enough to enact common sense gun legislation. We can't even have the conversation without the right-wingers telling us, it's too soon, man, it's not the time. No, it is the time. It absolutely is the time. But that's a conversation that's never going to happen because this is America. On to the political news of the week. The Senate passes an aid bill that the House has vowed to kill. I'm going to read to you now from Reuters. Democratic President Joe Biden and a bipartisan group of lawmakers, including the top U.S. Senate Republicans, on Tuesday urged the Republican-controlled House of Representatives to take up a $95.34 billion military aid package for Ukraine and other allies. Excuse me. The measure uh, passed the Senate with a 70 to 29 vote shortly before dawn on Tuesday after a hardline group of Republicans spent the night trying to block it. But it was unclear if House Speaker Mike Johnson would even bring it up for a vote in the chamber, his party controls by a narrow 219 to 212 margin. Both houses of Congress must approve the legislation before Biden can sign it into law. Ukraine's leadership sees the funding as crucial as it continues to fight an invasion launched by Russian President Vladimir Putin nearly two years ago. Biden has been pushing for the package, which also includes security funding for Israel and Taiwan and humanitarian aid for Palestinians for months, but has faced opposition from Republican hardliners, particularly those most closely aligned with former President Donald Trump. Quote, I call on the Speaker to let the full House speak its mind and not allow a minority of most of the most extreme voices in the House to block this bill even from being voted on, Biden said in remarks from the White House. Supporting this bill is standing up to Putin. Opposing it is playing into Putin's hands, he added. Senate Republican Mitch McConnell, who was among the 22 Republicans in the chamber who voted for the bill, said he hoped the White House would consider it. I'm sorry, that the House would consider it. Quote, I hope the Speaker will find a way to allow the House to work its will on the issue of Ukraine aid and other parts of the bill as well, McConnell told Politico in an interview. Johnson issued a statement before the Senate vote that faulted the bill for lacking conservative provisions to stem a record flow of migrants across the U.S.-Mexico border, suggesting he would not schedule a vote anytime soon. America deserves better than the Senate's status quo, Johnson said in his statement. Senate Republicans last week blocked the bill, that would have coupled the security aid with the most sweeping changes to the border policy in decades after Trump, the frontrunner for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, criticized it. Johnson has suggested in the past the House could split the legislation into separate bills and twice introduced bills provided, uh, providing aid only to Israel, neither of which succeeded. So what we have here is we have a group of Republicans in the Senate that recognize the importance of helping our allies, including one that is currently being invaded by Putin, and the only reason they're able to to stem the tide of Putin's invasion is because of aid they are receiving from the rest of the world. These Senate Republicans work with Senate Democrats to pass this bill, but because Donald Trump doesn't like it, the House is going to say no proving that MAGA is nothing more than a bunch of lapdog bitches for their dear leader. Yes, I said elected MAGA officials are nothing more than lapdog bitches 
for their dear leader, Donald Trump, because that is an absolutely true statement. If Trump says no, they don't do it. If Trump says yeah, they give it their all. If Trump says jump, they say how high. If Trump says bend over so I can stick it in, when he's done sticking it in, they say thank you, sir. May I please have another? They are totally and utterly subservient to their dear fucking leader. They are embarrassments to the seats they hold. They are a stain on our government and country as a whole, and as many of them as humanly possible need to be voted out as quickly as humanly possible. Period. Full fucking stop. Here's another reason why they should be uh, voted out. The House has impeached Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. I'm now going to read to you from NBC News. The Republican-led House on Tuesday night narrowly impeached Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over what they claim is his failure to enforce border laws amid a quote-unquote crisis of high illegal immigration, allegations he denies as baseless. The historic move, only the second cabinet member impeachment since the country's founding after William Belknap in 1876, has been criticized by some Republicans and many Democrats as based on policy disagreements, not accusations of specific crimes. Because that's what it was, folks. Conservatives have also sought to paint Mayorkas as incompetent. The impeachment articles are expected to be rejected by the Senate's Democratic majority. The House GOP tried and failed last week to impeach Mayorkas on the same accusations. In a statement after Tuesday's vote, Speaker Mike Johnson blamed Mayorkas for, quote, fueling the worst border catastrophe in American history. Quote, he deserves to be impeached and Congress has a constitutional obligation to do so, Johnson said. Next to a declaration of war, impeachment is arguably the most serious authority given to the House and we have treated this matter accordingly. No, you have not. A Department of Homeland Security spokesperson shot back in a statement saying, Without a shred of evidence or legitimate constitutional grounds, and despite bipartisan opposition, House Republicans have falsely smeared a dedicated public servant who has spent more than 20 years enforcing our laws and serving our country. Secretary Mayorkas and the Department of Homeland Security will continue to work every day to keep Americans safe, the spokesperson added. The articles of impeachment against Mayorkas passed on Tuesday with a 214-213 vote, with the majority made up of only Republicans and three Republicans voting with Democrats against the impeachment. Two Democratic representatives, Judy Chu and Lois Frankel, and Republican representatives Brian Mast and Maria Salazar, did not vote. Representatives Ken Buck, Mike Gallagher, and Tom McClintock, the same three Republicans who opposed a previous attempt to impeach Mayorkas last week, kept their opposition. Mayorkas will now face a trial in the Democratic-controlled Senate, where a two-thirds majority vote will be needed to convict and remove him from office, which is very unlikely, the article here says. I'm going to amend that. It's fucking impossible. It's never going to happen. The chamber's majority leader, Chuck Schumer, on Tuesday night labeled the impeachment a sham, echoing how Democrats say Republicans have seized on Mayorkas to go after President Biden's border policies and spotlight immigration. Polling shows the public broadly disapproves of Biden's handling of the issue. The president criticized Tuesday's vote in a statement, saying in part, history will not look kindly on House Republicans for their blatant act of unconstitutional partisanship. The Senate is on a two-week recess, returning February 26th. 
Quote, the House impeachment managers will present the articles of impeachment to the Senate following the state work period. Senators uh, will be sworn in as jurors in the next, uh, in, in the trial the next day. Senate President Pro Temp Petty Murray will preside, Schumer's office said. Republicans accused Mayorkas of, quote, willful and systematic refusal to comply with the law and, quote, breach of public trust amid a surge of unauthorized migrant crossings, according to the articles of impeachment against him. Excuse me. (coughs) (coughs) My apologies, folks. House Homeland Security Committee Chairman Mark Green, a Tennessee Republican who led the impeachment investigation, has cited Mayorkas discussing operational control of the U.S. border, which Congress previously defined as zero illegal crossings. As Mayorkas has pointed out under this definition, no administration has ever achieved operational control, as there have been illegal crossings with every fucking president. At a previous congressional hearing, uh, Mayorkas said he believed there was a form of operational control and said he was not following the definition outlined in the dated statute. Green, however, has contended Mayorkas' conduct is disqualifying regardless if it's criminal. Really? So he didn't commit a crime, but we can still get rid of him because we don't like him? Quote, the founders designed impeachment not to just remove officials engaged in criminal behavior, but those guilty of such gross incompetence that their conducts, uh, conduct had endangered their fellow Americans, betrayed the public trust, and represented a neglect of duty, they said. So when do you guys get impeached? By the way, the founders, all undocumented immigrants. Just thought I'd throw that in there. (sighs) Lauding the successful impeachment vote on Tuesday, Green said in a statement, our country has suffered from an unprecedented border crisis that has turned every state into a border state, causing untold suffering in communities across our country. With this vote, Congress has made clear that we will not tolerate such lawlessness. Critics of the impeachment push, including Representative Buck of Colorado, have said the articles don't show specific crimes or wrongdoings and instead reflect a political dispute with the Biden administration. This administration has removed, returned, or expelled more migrants in three years than the prior administration did in four years, DHS said in a memo circulated ahead of Tuesday's vote. The previous attempt to impeach Mayorkas surprisingly failed last week after three Republicans voted against it, along with all Democrats present. That marked a major defeat for Speaker Johnson and other House GOP uh, leaders. Quote, last night was a setback, but democracy is uh, messy, Johnson told reporters the next day on Capitol Hill, seeking to soften the losses. We live in a time of divided government. We have a razor-thin margin here, and every vote counts. House Majority uh, Leader Steve Scalise then returned to Washington after blood cancer treatment to help his party's narrow majority in the second vote on Tuesday. Scalise's office has said in a statement on Thursday that he successfully completed his autologues stem cell treatment and has been medically cleared to resume travel. The Louisiana Republican is in complete remission, his office said then. On NBC's Meet the Press on Sunday, Mayorkas maintained that the flood of migrants at the uh, border has been a problem for years and that legislative action is needed to fix the system. Something we've been talking about forever. 
In December, there were 302,000 encounters along the southwest border, the highest monthly total ever recorded. Kristen Welker pressed Mayorkas on whether he bears the responsibility for the flood of migrants crossing the border, something President Biden has called uh, has also called a crisis. It certainly is a crisis, and while we don't bear responsibility for a broken system, and we're doing a tremendous amount within that broken system, Mayorkas said, but fundamentally, Congress is the only one that can fix that, he added. Last week, the Senate's vote to advance a bipartisan foreign aid bill with major new border provisions failed, a blow to the negotiators who worked for months with Mayorkas to develop the border deal. Johnson and other notable GOP critics of the agreement argued it was insufficient. Quote, the system has not been fixed for 30 years, Mayorkas said on NBC. A bipartisan group of senators have now presented us with the tools and resources we need, and yet Congress killed it before even reading it, he added. This, my, uh, my, 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 my friends, is an exercise in futility, as the Senate will never vote to convict and remove Mayorkas. But there is some good news. There is a silver lining to all of this. Because you see, What's going to happen in the Senate is a trial. And what happens at a trial? A lawyer stands up and prosecutes the case, right? Those are called managers. The House sends over a couple of its members that are deemed managers for the impeachment trial, and they act as the lawyers who will prosecute the case. The House is sending over two impeachment managers to prosecute this case. One of them is Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> That means, boys and girls, that MTG will be acting as a prosecuting attorney in the case. And I have to be honest with you, I think she's too fucking stupid to do that. I don't think she's got it in her. I think it's going to be entertainment on a level we have never seen before. Remember, this is a woman who has to read along the paper with her finger and pronounce the word indictment as in, in I'm sorry, indictable as indictable. I can't wait to watch this. Alexa, order all the popcorn. In other political news this week, MAGA keeps losing. Democrats won in a special election in New, uh, New York to determine who was going to fill Santos's old seat. You remember Santos, the guy who lied about everything and was ejected from Congress recently? Well... They held a special election, and the Democrat won. I'm going to read to you now from NPR. Republicans were hoping concerns over immigration would put them over the top Tuesday in a closely watched special election in suburban New York to replace the disgraced former Representative George Santos. Instead, Democrats parried the attack and flipped the seat. Democrats also retained control of the State House in Pennsylvania, holding onto a seat in the Philadelphia suburbs, where the winning candidate campaigned in part on abortion rights. Both areas lean Democratic, but Republicans were hoping to make inroads. Instead, they're left still trying to find a winning message in the suburbs and now have an even slimmer House majority in Washington. Special elections are low turnout affairs that don't always indicate what will happen in future election, but there were some important consequences and lessons to draw out of Tuesday's results. One, Republicans' historically narrow majority got even smaller. What gets thinner than a whisker? That's essentially Republicans' current majority in the House. Only three seats now. You think governing has been hard for House Republicans? It just got a whole lot harder. Two, 
Republicans continue to struggle in the suburbs. Education, crime, and now immigration. None of those issues has really turned the tide for Republicans in the suburbs. With former President Donald Trump as the likely standard bearer again for the party, their job is made even harder. The latest NPR PBS NewsHour Marist poll found that almost two-thirds of suburban suburban voters have an unfavorable opinion of Trump, and in a head-to-head matchup, Biden leads Trump by 16 points with suburban voters. If the GOP can't get the message uh, correct, sorry, I got a message on my phone here as it lit up. My apologies. If the GOP can't get the message uh, right, it could prove difficult for them to expand their majority in the House come November, as many swing districts are in suburban areas. Third takeaway. Democrats showed that they can defend themselves on immigration. The race was dominated by GOP attacks on immigration. Republicans spent more than $8 million on campaign ads uh, ads in this race, a huge number for a special congressional election. They hammered Democrat Tom Suzo on immigration on the airwaves. Republican Mazzie Pillip even held rallies near a makeshift tent city in Queens that houses migrants. It's been a hot-button issue in New York with red state governors Bussing migrants who cross the border illegally to cities run by Democrats, including New York. New York Mayor Eric Adams has criticized the Biden administration on border security, calling on them to do more. Biden gets just a 29% approval rating for his handling of border security, uh, for handling of the issue, and Republicans have a 12-point advantage on which party would do a better job with it, according to the latest NPR poll. So it's understandable that Republicans would want to try to use that issue. But Democrats showed they can defend themselves on this issue by tacking to the middle. Susie said the border needed to be secured, called for a bipartisan compromise, and supported the bipartisan congressional deal that was scuttled by Trump and the hard right. Pillip came out against the bill. Pillip lost. Fourth takeaway, abortion rights continue to be something Democrats will run on with good reason. In addition to immigration, abortion rights once again played a role in the Democrats' messaging for this special election. Abortion rights and Pillip's ethical record were the main on-air messages that voters saw. Democrats used Pillip saying she is pro-life and accused her of running on a platform to ban abortion, no exceptions for rape and incense. In Pennsylvania, Jim Prokopik helped Democrats hold on to the Senate with his victory for the legislative seat in Bucks County, and in a statement after his win, he noted the role abortion rights played. Quote, what I heard from voters in uh, Bucks County residents, uh, what I heard from voters is that Bucks County residents need help supporting their families, want control over their own bodies, and ensure that they have the ability to chart their own paths in life, he said. You don't want to read too much in the special election, but it's been special after special after special that the Democrats have won since the Dobbs ruling was overturned, guaranteed the right to abortion nearly two years ago. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) It is an albatross around the neck of the Republicans, and it is a winning message for the Democrats. Fifth takeover from the special election. Candidates and money do matter. Democrats hammered Phillips' ethics, likening her to Santos. Over Santos's face, this widely run ad begins 
I'm sorry, a widely run ad begins, same story, new name. It then shows Pillip and says she's about to embarrass us again and goes on to drop the Apple file about unpaid bills from her family's business and that she also owed more than $100,000 in back taxes to the IRS, even filing a false financial disclosure. She's an unethical nightmare, the ad says. Susie is a known quantity on Long Island. He's a former Nassau County executive and is a former congressman. Democrats essentially build the race as a moderate adult in the room versus an extremist MAGA candidate. Sound familiar? Democrats also outspent Republicans $14 million to $8 million in this race, a massive sum for a special election. In Pennsylvania, the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee spent $50,000 to try and hold the, the state house seat in Pennsylvania. That doesn't sound like a loss uh, compared to what it was spent in New York, but a little can go a long way in a statehouse race. The DLCC is pledging to spend $60 million in 2024 on statehouse races across the country, the most it has ever spent. Money, paired with the right candidates, is usually a recipe for success in politics. He barely got in in 2016. He cost them the midterms in 2018. He caused them to get blown away in 2020. And he cost them the red wave in 2022. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the Trump effect. And now we've seen it again. Now we've seen it again. I'm going to say that to you again. He barely got in in 2016. He cost them the midterms badly in 2018. He caused them to get blown away in 2020. He cost them the red wave in 2022. And he has cost them in special election after special election after special election. This party is speaking loudly and clearly in campaign after campaign after campaign. They are done with Trumpism. Done. He will continue to cost them elections after elections after elections as long as he is the flag bearer of the grand old party. And I believe it's going to cost him again in 2024, even with the poll numbers for Biden being where they are. Donald Trump is an anchor around the Republican Party's neck. And it only keeps getting worse, folks. Take, for example, this story. Trump gets yet another first. News came down this week that Trump's first criminal case will start next month, making it the first ever criminal case against a former president. I'm going to read to you now from USA Today. Donald Trump's hush money trial will proceed as scheduled, with jury selection starting on March 25th, a New York judge said, in what could be the first ever criminal trial against a former president on charges he falsified business records to cover up payments to women. Now, could be because it hasn't kicked off yet. Once it kicks off, it will be the first ever criminal trial against a former president. Trump told reporters as he entered the courtroom that he committed no crime and that the charges were politically motivated. This is a terrible day for our country, he said. This is a real dark period. No, it's not. It's actually a great day for our country. And the day you get convicted of this shit, along with all the other shit you've done, will also be great days for our country. Despite receiving the least attention of the four criminal cases against Trump, the trial threatens to sideline the likely Republican nominee during the heart of the primary season while he campaigns against uh, again for the White House. Now, it's not going to hurt him from, from the primary season. He's going to get the nomination, but it's going to destroy him in the general. 
As always, Trump contends these cases are being waged by Democratic opponents interfering with the election, but prosecutors argue he faces the same legal standards as anyone else. And that's the problem with Donald Trump. He has never been held accountable in his entire fucking life. He hasn't. He has never been held accountable for anything he's done. And now he's in a position where he is going to be held accountable. He's already begun to be held accountable, and he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it one bit. And I'm here for every fucking minute of it. He needs to be held accountable. He needs to be found guilty for the crimes he's committed. And he needs to be appropriately punished for those crimes. Now, I still don't think that Donald Trump is ever going to go to prison, but that's where he needs to go. Prison. And i got to be honest with you, this trial cannot come fast enough because he is becoming more and more and more of a danger to not only America, but the world. Here's a prime example. Since last we spoke, Trump told rally-goers that he would not protect NATO allies and would encourage Putin to invade them if he were president and they didn't, quote-unquote, pay up. I'm going to read to you now from NBC News. Former President Donald Trump this Saturday said he would encourage Russia to, quote, do whatever the hell they want if it attacked a NATO country that didn't pay enough for defense. Excuse me one moment. We've all been dealing with a little bit of a runny nose here in the house, and sometimes it can just be a bit of a pain in the ass. Excuse me. Good times. You know what I mean? Good times. Anyway, I continue. His comments drew fierce backlash from some Republicans, the White House, and leading Western officials, with the head of the Transatlantic Alliance suggesting they could put the lives of American and European soldiers at greater risk. (coughs) Man, I better not be getting sick, so help me fucking God. The comments will do little to ease concerns in Europe about U.S. dependability, with military aid that Ukraine desperately needs help in Congress, and the frontrunner for the GOP nomination now reiterating his long-standing skepticism of America's historical commitments to its allies. Speaking to supporters at a rally in South Carolina, Trump recounted an exchange from his time in office with the leader of a, quote, big country, who asked whether it would be protected if Russia attacked. Trump said he told the leader that the U.S. government would not protect the country if it didn't pay its fair share in defense spending. Quote, I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? Trump recalled. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. You got to pay your bills. Now let's just pause right there for a second. First, that's not how NATO works. If a NATO country is attacked, if a NATO country is invaded, then NATO defends all of its allies within NATO. That's how, that's the agreement. That That's how this shit works. Secondly, 
it sounds like he's trying to turn NATO into a shakedown racket. Right? This is what mob bosses do. You didn't pay up? Eh, fuck you. We're not going to protect you then. You can go fuck yourself. Third, why is it always Russia? Would would Trump allow any other country on the planet to invade another country? Or is it just because he owes a shitload of money to Russian oligarchs? Lastly, how fucking ironic is it that Donald Trump is standing on a stage in South Carolina saying, you got to pay, you got to pay your bills. I'm sorry, what? Did you just say you got to pay your bills? This motherfucker doesn't pay his own bills, but he's telling everybody else they got to pay their bills or he's just going to let Putin do whatever the fuck he wants. The White House said Trump's latest comments were appalling and unhinged. Quote, encouraging invasions of our closest allies by murderous regimes is appalling and unhinged, and it endangers American national security, global stability, and our economy at home, spokesperson Andrew Bates said in a statement on Saturday night. Rather than calling for wars and promoting deranged chaos, President Biden will continue to bolster American leadership and stand up for our national security interests, not against them, he added. Trump campaign senior advisor Jason Miller told NBC News, Democrat and media pearl clutchers seem to have forgotten that we had four years of peace and prosperity under President Trump. But Europe saw death and destruction under Obama-Biden, and now more death and destruction under Biden. President Trump got our allies to increase their NATO spending by demanding they pay up, but Joe Biden went back to letting them take advantage of the American taxpayers. When you don't pay for your defense, uh, when you don't pay your defense spending, you can't be surprised that you get more war, he said. We had four years of peace and prosperity under President Trump. No, we didn't. We were st- we were still involved in America's longest war, Afghanistan. Missiles were dropped on Israel. There were wars around the country when President Trump was in office, but they want to play it off as Trump got in the office and all the fighting in the world stopped it. That's not how it happened. Prosperity? Prosperity? Are you fucking kidding me? Take a look at the uh, Trump economy before and after COVID. These guys are rewriting history in real time. And once again, they're playing right into Putin's policies, right? Putin would love nothing more for, than for the United States to pull out of NATO. Because that gives him a clear path to do whatever the fuck he wants in Europe. Without us being around to help stop him, he, he begins to run roughshod over NATO allies. NATO Security General Jens Stolberg said the alliance remains ready and able to defend all allies. Any attack on NATO will be met with a united and forceful response. Stoltenberg cautioned that any suggestion that allies will not defend each other undermines all of our security, including that of the U.S., and puts American and European soldiers at increased risk. But, he added, I expect that regardless of who wins the presidential election, the U.S. will remain a strong and committed NATO ally. Don't bet on it. Trump is serious when he's talking about letting Putin do whatever the fuck he wants. I wonder how many 
billions of dollars get written off of his tab every time he polishes Putin's knob and tells him he can do whatever the fuck he wants on the world stage. Polish defense minister, and I am going to butcher this name, well, Dalslaw Kozniak Kamsis? Yeah, there's no fucking way I said that right, so I do apologize. Also criticized Trump. <clears throat> Quote, NATO's motto, one for all, all for one, is a concrete commitment. Undermining the credibility of our allied countries means weakening the entire NATO, he wrote on Twitter. No election campaign is an excuse for playing with the security of the alliance, he added. Vladimir Putin is pushing on with his war in Ukraine, and some NATO members have expressed concerns that Russia might look to invade other countries next. The alliance was formed in 1949 to provide collective defense against the Soviet Union. A hallmark of the agreement is Article 5, which states that an attack on one ally would be considered an attack on all. Trump has long groused about NATO and sparred with the heads of member states, reportedly threatening to pull us out of the bloc over demands that members, uh, member nations hit the target of spending 2% of their gross domestic, uh, domestic product on defense. Since he came into office, President Joe Biden has sought to reassure NATO of the U.S. commitment to the alliance, a stark contrast to his Republican predecessor. Uh, predecessor. Last month, Biden signed an $886 billion defense bill that bars a president from unilaterally withdrawing from NATO, which could thwart Trump's 2024 campaign pledge to fundamentally reevaluate NATO's purpose and NATO's mission. You, hang on a second here. We want Donald Trump reevaluating NATO's purpose? NATO's purpose is to defend all of the freedom-seeking nations in its coalition against the Soviet aggressors, which is exactly what's happening again today. <clears throat> and who the fuck is Donald Trump to reevaluate anything? Who the fuck do you think you are? You can't even keep a fucking casino open. You couldn't sell steak and vodka to Americans. You think we want you reevaluating NATO and its mission? Sit all the way the fuck down. A report released last year showed only 11 of the then 30 member nations were spending 2% of their GDP or more on defense. But the figure is a target, not a requirement, and many NATO members have stepped up the, their military spending in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Finland was granted NATO membership status last year, and Sweden is in the process of joining. Denmark's defense minister warned Friday that a new threat assessment based on new intelligence indicates that Russia could attack a NATO country within three to five years. Keep in mind, folks, one of Vladimir Putin's wishes before he departs this earth is to reconstitute the old Soviet Union. He wants to be the one to be remembered for all time as the one who brought the old Soviet Union back. He's not going to stop with Ukraine. He's just not. Besides the NATO comment, Trump on Saturday also boasted about the recent failure to pass a bipartisan border deal 
We crushed crooked Joe Biden's disastrous border deal. Mike Johnson did a very good job, Trump said, referring to the Republican House Speaker and his opposition to the bill. It is widely reported that Trump wanted his party to reject the legislation and hope that he could do uh, he could use the crisis at the southern border as a political tool to win re-election in November. But the clash in Washington has meant that new military aid to Ukraine remains held up, hampering Kyiv's fight against the Kremlin forces at a crucial moment on the battlefield. His stated ambivalence towards Russian aggression has long fueled concerns in Ukraine and beyond about what a second Trump presidency would mean for Europe. A high-level European Union official said last month that Trump had told top European officials while he was in office that the U.S. would never help Europe if it came under attack. Quote, the real problem is whether Trump is looking to stabilize onto a rebalanced relationship, but one where we remain trusted allies nonetheless, or whether this is a directional Uh, i.e. part of a steady and deliberate erosion of our relationship with Rapture as the final destination, said Edward Hunter Christie, a former NATO official and senior research fellow at the Finnish Institute of International Affairs. It would appear more reasonable to assume that Trump is preparing the grounds for abandoning Europe uh, and for striking deals with Russia over our heads, he said on Twitter. Folks, If this doesn't make you run the other way from the prospect of voting for this motherfucker in November, then you are about as anti-American as it gets. This further solidifies what everybody already knows, which is that Trump is Putin's bitch who will do, do whatever his handler tells him to do, including turning his back on our allies to allow Daddy Putin to attack anyone he wants. Being in massive debt to Russian oligarchs has massive influence on your judgment, I guess. This is, as I stated, about as un-American as it gets. Russia has been our enemy for fucking generations. And along comes a man who is so fucking bad at business that he got so in debt to Russian oligarchs that he will let Putin do whatever the fuck he wants. See, Trump acts like he's this big, bad, tough American. But big, bad, tough Americans don't just kowtow to Russian dictators. They hold them accountable for their actions, and they don't let them get away with shit like this. This man, Trump, is an incredible threat to our way of life and the very safety we enjoy as a species. And yes, I said as a species. He is that fucking dangerous. He must never be elevated to a position of governmental power ever again. We must turn out for the Democratic nominee in 2024 in numbers never before seen, no matter who that person may be. We have to do it for the continued existence of our country and the continued continuity of our very species. This man, in order to wipe his financial debts clean, will allow Putin to invade any country he wants, kill as many as he wants, occupy as much as he wants, and never, ever, ever, ever do anything to hold him accountable. We must keep him out of the White House in the 2024 election.
It is incumbent upon us. We are the only people that can do it. Get registered to vote. Make a plan to vote. Talk to your friends. Talk to your relatives. Talk to your coworkers. Make sure as many people are going to get out and vote blue in November as humanly possible so we can put this fucking shit stain behind us where he belongs forever and ever and ever. Amen. Before we wrap this up, a quick reminder. This is the second to last podcast episode before I go on vacation. There will be a new podcast episode next Friday, the 23rd. And then I am wheels up for Jamaica on the 28th. So there will be no podcast on Friday, March 1st, nor Friday, March 8th. Once again, There will be no second half podcast episode on Friday, March 1st and Friday, March 8th, as I will be out of the country. Now, as far as my other podcast, Off Topic with Tom Powell, I have an episode airing on Tuesday, the 20th, next week, just a few days, with Mission Control Flight Director T.J. Creamer. Then there will not be one on the 27th. But on the 5th, while I am out of town, there will be an episode starring Nate Petrosky, providing that that schedule still holds. I'll record it before we leave, but I'll have it ready to go and uh, scheduled to, uh, to air on the 5th. And then we'll go back to our, our uh, regularly scheduled uh, episodes every two weeks after that with the episode airing on... March 19th being with everybody's favorite TikTok cousin, the amazing D. So, having said all of that, that's all I got for you guys this week. As always, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure you get to my website, order some merch, get yourself a book, subscribe to my other podcast. Listen, it's two episodes a month, so over two hours of quality entertainment with a guest on each episode. And it's only $4.20 a month. It's less than 5 bucks for two hours of entertainment. It's the best deal in the country. So make sure you subscribe to Off Topic with Tom Powell. Spread the word about it. Let's grow that platform so we can get my wife retired as well. Make sure you check in next Friday for an all-new episode of this podcast, the second half podcast with Tom Powell. And as always, until then, stay grateful. <laughs>